Welcome to Fringe with Benefits. I'm your host, Stacy. Back at it again with excitement for a new spring and some warmer weather. Geez, I had to have moved to the darkest spot in the U.S. If there are any UAPs or UFOs up there, I would not even see them. So I'm totally ready to see the sun again. Shit's been weird out there, right? Like, have you been paying attention to the news and stuff? Probably not, because, you know, mental health and all. But if you have been, things have been awfully weird. And I have a whole new batch of strange for you this week. I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Now this is the most annoying part of the show. It's even annoying for me, guys, because I don't really like talking about all the social medias I'm on, but I do want to promote the podcast. So Facebook, Fringe with Benefits, the nonprofit's Facebook is Inward Survival. My Facebook fan page, if you like Naked and Afraid and all things Stacy, is at Stacy Leosorio. I am on Twitter. That's I'm a little more edgy there and speak my mind. That's at Stacy Fringe. Instagram, where I keep it kind of mellow and PG, PG13, is at Golden underscore Valkyrie underscore. YouTube is at Golden Valkyrification. You can find me at BitChute, Golden Valkyrie parlor i think i'm gonna give up on that one i don't really like the platforms not a huge not a huge fan of the way it looks i do like gab at golden underscore valkyrie that's pretty cool miwi is kind of not i'm not a fan but you can find me there stacy mccauley there and i do love telegram fringe with benefits has their own channel go check that out there's all kinds of really cool stuff in there and i am on minds i actually do like this platform I think it's very clean looking. It's I am Golden Valkyrie there. You can pretty much find me anywhere under those handles. Inward Survival's website is inwardsurvival.com. There are ways to donate and a little blog over there. There is some merch. You can go check that out. Share the show. Visit the show's homepage on Anchor and click support the show. And thank you again to all of our subscribers. I like to put that in there. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, then go give me a rating and review. I usually talk a little bit of shit right here, but five stars would be great. I'm, you know, I'm on there as much as I really allow myself to be. I prefer to be in more of a creative mode. And some of the stuff that I've been creative with does not go on there. I try to distance myself a little bit from it. But I know, I know, it's, it's a part of the future, so we'll totally give it a go. So that's where you can find me. Come interact with me. Okay, guys, accountability segment. So what comes out, I guess, just comes out. So what's gone on this last week? I've been really busy studying for this test. No, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to be doing, but it's going to be something cool. I spend too much time down the rabbit hole online trying to consume as much information as I can about what might be going on or what might possibly happen. And I went to the doctor I have a 1% chance of a heart attack, she says, and she ordered thyroid tests, and they always do that. I have no problems. There's nothing wrong with my thyroid. I probably do have some allergies to some highly processed foods that I've been COVIDing out on. I think a lot of other people have been doing that, maybe eating their emotions. I'm, You know, I do that. I've been doing that, trying to get back into the swing of things. I will be really, really happy to not work in my house. This has been ultra challenging for me. 
and my circumstances have kind of pushed me into this situation in which I'm pretty much homebound because of the whole virus thing. The gyms were closed. Well, I haven't been back to the gyms because I have this anti-mask thing. And so it causes a lot of freaking anxiety when I have to go somewhere knowing that I have to cover my face because I have a hard time breathing. Then, then people think that you're crazy because you don't want to and that you should just take one for the team. And I'm like, oh no, fuck that. I am not doing it. Tangent about that. Anywho, I will be really happy to see all of those mandates lifted and people feeling comfortable being around each other again. That's what I hope for. Now let's get on with the show. Stacy's socials have been total nutso this week. So it was a hard time to pick just a few articles to talk about some key issues. First, we're going to start with dcpatriot.com. Our, our lovely president, who is a train wreck, in my opinion, our, our lovely Biden, we can't ignore it. We can't ignore the train wreck anymore, right? It's really kind of funny because the news is, has been pretty hilarious, in my opinion. In this article with DC Patriot, even the radical government of Mexico has been reported saying that Sniffy Joe's administration's border policy is creating business for the cartels and that it's starting to get out of control. Everybody's noticing. President Manuel Lopez Obrador expressed major concerns. He's worried, well, we'll get into that. These U.S. policies have made it even more feasible, and it's like these Mexican cartels have openly ramped up efforts with new info for their clients on new immigration laws and how to navigate them. Smugglers seem to really know the law and seem really schooled about this. And so, you know, business is popping for them. And according to the news, we're having, you know, over 500 kids a day or young adults walking into the country with full knowledge on how to navigate our new immigration policy. So Mexico is concerned not only about the ramped up efforts of the cartels in their neighborhoods, but people traveling through from Central America and South America. I just wanted to put that out there and let people know that there are some crazy issues going on in the border towns and people are pretty upset. And we probably shouldn't be paying attention to the president falling on stairs when we need to be keeping an eye on this for sure. Next, I want to talk about Karen Hudson Samuels. She was a TV anchor from Detroit. She had a 40-year career. She was a producer, news director, historian, journalist, and she this was the first black-owned TV station, WGPR, in the entire nation. Channel 62 CBS Detroit reports that she passed away the day after her COVID shot. She was 68, and her husband found her. And he, you know, mentioned that it was one day after a vaccine. Totally, like, coincidence or fatal reaction. Who knows? Then, you know, it kind of leads me to, we lost two legends this year. And I wanted to talk about that because there's a little bit of conflict about Hank Aaron and Marvin Hagler. The Tampa Bay Times writes an article that says, Aubrey Huff ties vaccine to Hank Aaron, Marvin, Marvel... (laughs) Marvin Hagler deaths, no evidence, PolitiFact says. They're saying that Hank Aaron's death was ruled natural and not linked to the vaccine at all. 
and there's no cause that's identified for Hagler, but his wife does step up and say something, saying that the rumors aren't true. Now, what I thought was interesting is that Aubrey Huff, who is a legend himself, he is blaming the deaths of these two legends on the vaccine. He's made several social media posts questioning the vaccines and made his claim the day after Hagler's death. And his March 4th Instagram read, Hammering Hank Aaron, now marvelous Marvin Hagler, two legends dead after taking the hashtag COVID-19 vaccine. This widely shared post was flagged as part of Facebook's effort to combat false news and misinformation. There's no evidence that either man's death was related to the vaccines. So, kind of interesting. (sighs) Sorry, I'm breathing. (laughs) I held my breath there for a little while. Just, you know, interesting, right? Let's move on to our next thing because there's so much news happening. And I thought that this was like right along with... The podcast, lawofficer.com reports that Ronald DeFeo died. Who raise your hand if you know who Ronald DeFeo is? He is the Amityville killer. He was 69 when he died, which was like last week. And he is responsible for the 1974 Long Island slaying of his six family members in the badass famed house, the Amityville house. He was 23 at the time and he used a .35 Marlin rifle. Point thirty-five, I don't know. So he died, um, well, he was transported to the hospital from Sullivan Correctional in Fallsburg. There's going to be an autopsy to see what happened. What he said was, like, when they questioned him about why the fuck did you kill your whole family, he said he heard voices in his head that the family was out to get him. And this, the address of this house is uh, 11, or was 112 Ocean Avenue. It was changed to 108 Ocean Avenue because local authorities thought, you know, they wanted to drive the tourism away. Well, now everybody knows where it is again. And it's not like you can't identify it. It's kind of like the Goonies house in Astoria, Oregon. They try to change the appearance because it's a nuisance to the people that live there. If like 100 people a day come to drive by your house and look at it. (laughs) So I can imagine. A year after the murders, when Ronald killed his family, George and Kathy Lutz bought the house. And this is the beginning of the Amityville horror story in which the book was written and several movies were made. People take one side or the other whether or not this was a hoax. I don't think it was a hoax. I think there's something up with that house. I don't believe that they didn't experience nothing because they really lost their ass when they bought that house. So I just wanted to put it out there that Ronald DeFeo died. Yay! Well, I don't know. That's sad. Like, because what if he was demon-possessed? And, but, at the same time, people commit familicide. Is that what it's called? They, there are thousands of cases just like this one where one family member decimates the entire family. I think they're, they're called something. Family annihilators. That's what they're called. So it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, was is there something in the house? You know, did something come after? Or was there nothing to begin with? Were George and Kathy Lutz just paranoid because of what happened? There's just so many options. Anyways, Ronald died. And I guess they called him Butch. Like, Butcher. <laughs> now, there's so much stuff out there that I really wanted to talk about some stuff that's been happening in Georgia. I'm not going to say anything right now, but maybe you might know what I'm talking about. 
There's been people dying in strange ways surrounding Georgia lawmaking. And first, I was like convinced that it was happening and that these people died because they were killed. But then I was unconvinced because of some remarks that journalists or family members made. Well, now I'm convinced again. And it's it's really confusing and disorienting. So I think I'm going to want to talk about it, but I'm going to have to think about it a little bit more. Our mailbag was quite empty this week. So this week's mailbag is a call to arms. Send me your mail at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. I like scary stories, heartfelt stories of loss and heartbreak, reincarnation stories, near-death experience stories, UFO sightings stories, skinwalkers on a lonely highway at night story. You can even take advantage of my new idea of Dear Stacy advice-like segment. My mailbag is your playground. Let us talk Dear Abby for a second. It has a star on the Walk of Fame. It still runs strong today, and I've always loved it. I've loved Dr. Laura, too, because she was such a straightforward bitch, and even though I did not totally agree with her, the writers of the quandaries always entertain me. I love advice segments. In fact, I follow a famous Reddit group called Am I the Asshole? If you use Reddit, there is hours of reading entertainment that will shock, horrify, and make you ponder for hours. I highly suggest it. Until then, open up your email, type in fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Send me your stories. Thanks. The weekly topic this week is pretty damn serious, and I figured that it was probably a good one to talk about. It's our, it is our current reality in this world. And yesterday, my local police department posted a post to warn people about fentanyl being in our community. So let me read this to you. It says, recent overdoses suggest fentanyl pills have hit our area, are seeing a sudden increase in severe overdoses tied to what was described as a small blue pill. In one case in Hoquiam, we recovered the substance and believe it's a counterfeit lookalike narcotic prescription pill. Given the immediate overdose impact of the 15-year-old juvenile who ingested only a part of the pill, we suspect the counterfeit pill contains fentanyl. Fire department had to use numerous doses of Narcan in order to save this child, which is also indicative of fentanyl. Police departments want to provide this information to the public because this is a serious and emergent threat to health and public safety. In addition to the potency of fentanyl substances themselves, fentanyl can also be accidentally ingested by touch or if airborne, potentially resulted in a bystander, family member, or first responder to suffer a severe unexpected overdose. Yeah, you heard that right, guys. With the changes in lifestyles with people cooped up more because of COVID, coupled with the recent Washington Supreme Court decision in State v. Blake, which invalidated the state's criminal drug position statute, we are concerned more overdoses may occur within the presence of fentanyl-laced substances in our area. Here is more information about fentanyl from the CDC. Well, what is fentanyl? Pharmaceutical fentanyl is a synthetic opioid approved for treating severe pain, typically advanced cancer pain. It is 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine. It is prescribed in the form of transdermal patches or lozenges and can be diverted for misuse and abuse in the United States. However, most recent cases of fentanyl-related harm, overdose, and death in the U.S. are linked to illegally made fentanyl. It is sold through illegal drug markets for its heroin-like effect. 
It is often mixed with heroin and or cocaine and is a combination product, with or without the user's knowledge to increase its euphoric effects. Deaths involving illicitly manufactured fentanyl on the rise, rates of overdose deaths involving synthetic opioids other than methadone, which includes fentanyl and fentanyl analogs, increased over 16% from 2018 to 2019. Overdose deaths involving involving synthetic opioids were near 12 times higher in 2019 than in 2013. More than 36,000 people died from overdoses involving synthetic opioids in 2019. The latest provisional drug overdose death counts through May 2020 suggests an acceleration of overdose deaths during the COVID-19 pandemic. What can be done? It says the increase in overdose deaths highlights the need to ensure people at most risk of overdose can access care as well as the need to expand prevention and response activities. CDC issued a health alert network advisory to medical and public health, health officials, first responders, harm reduction organizations, and other community partners recommending the following actions as appropriate based on local needs and characteristics. One, expand distribution and use of Noxalon, nal- naloxone, and overdose prevention education. Ex- two, expand awareness about and access to and availability of treatment for substance use disorders. Three, intervene early with individuals at highest risk for overdose. And then four, lastly, improve detection of overdose outbreaks to facilitate more effective response. This was our chief of police. It's in our communities. It's in communities all across America. We're gonna get into this a little bit and talk about maybe why our border issues are contributing to this problem. So if you you paid attention to the article, you noticed that there was a 15-year-old kid that got a hold of a piece of a pill and it ended up almost killing him. It it took, you know, a lot for them to revive this kid. If you also paid attention, you would have heard that literally you can, it could be airborne, you can inhale it causing overdose, or you can just brush up against somebody and having it on their skin, it could cause overdose. So it's a danger to people that aren't even going to try to use it. It's so powerful. So I really wanted to like look into where the hell did this stuff come from and who's making it. And I do remember like my dad passed away of cancer. So this was something that was given to him. But I always I always felt weird about it. It was like it was a fast track to death. I mean, this stuff can kill you so fucking fast. Why would they put it in a patch and stick it on a fucking cancer patient? It's it's unbelievable to me. And it really leads me to believe that they are really trying to kill us all. Let's get into fentanyl. According to the DEA website, fentanyl is 80 to 100 times stronger than morphine. It was developed for pain management for cancer patients, and it's been diverted for abuse, obviously, and added to heroin because it is highly potent. So people that think they are purchasing heroin or cocaine or any of those substances that are made by people you don't even know could result in an overdose death because it could be laced with fentanyl. Clandestinely produced fentanyl is primarily manufactured in Mexico. So let's look at the street names. Apace, A-P-A-C-E, I don't know how to pronounce that. China Girl, Chinatown, China White, there was a punk band named that when I was a kid. Dance Fever, Goodfellas, Great Bear, He-Man, Poison, and Tango and Cash. It is used for intense short-term high, euphoria feeling, slows your respiration and reduces your blood pressure. That's really not good, guys. Nausea, fainting, seizures, and death. Lovely. 
It produces effects such as relaxation, pain relief, sedation, confusion, drowsiness, dizziness, nausea, vomiting, urinary retention, pupillary constriction, and respiratory depression. That sounds lovely. Not. Its history, according to newsmedical.net, written by Dr. Ananya Mandel, MD, she said it was first prepared and developed by Dr. Paul Janssen, in 1959 under a patent held by his company, Janssen Pharmaceutica. It was a crazy painkiller, 100 times stronger than morphine, so it obviously was quickly adopted in a medical setting. In the 1960s, this agent was introduced as an intravenous anesthetic under the brand name Sublimase. It was super popular. The analogs of fentanyl were developed and included sufentanil, alfentanil, lofentanil, and remifentanil. By the mid-1990s, the fentanyl patch was developed, and that's you could deliver the drug to the patient transdermically, which is skin to skin contact. That's why when you touch somebody who is, it has it on his body, it will be absorbed through your skin. I guess the drug is released into the body fats, where it slowly moves into the bloodstream over two to three days, providing long-term pain relief. They underwent several clinical trials, and they were introduced and popular, popularized. Now, there are other delivery devices, examples including the Fentora Bucol tablets and the Actique Lollipop. These oral preparations contain fentanyl citrate mixed with fillers. Actique provided fast-acting relief of breakthrough pain and long-term pain sufferers, and further fentanyl products included an effervescent lozenge and a buccal spray. Despite the various different modes of delivery that were introduced, the transdermal skin patches remain the most widely used form of fentanyl delivery. There are... Other fentanyl products that have been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, which is the FDA, dun-dun-dun, for breakthrough pain, and it's called Onsolus. This is a soluble film of fentanyl on a disc that can be placed in the mouth and absorbed, which avoids the possibility of inhalation or crushing. Okay, so it's it could be a godsend for some of these people. I understand that. I see why that they've been using it. I understand And I see why people would abuse it, especially if they're trying to escape from the hell that is life sometimes. According to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, abuse drugabuse.gov, the overdose death rates are insane. If you look at the figures, figure one shows shows the increase from 1999 to 2019. And it went from 20,000 people to 70,000 people. Figure two, national drug involved overdose deaths by specific category from 1999 to 2019 shows an exponential increase of synthetic opioids other than methadone, primarily fentanyl. And if you look at this graph, that thing just shoots right up. All of these graphs, in fact, have uh, an exponential growth at the end of them. Figure three is national overdose deaths involving any opioid. And if you look, we do have a a real epidemic, an opioid epidemic. So that is a really useful, useful resource for anybody who is trying to get the stats on overdose death rates according to drug. The CDC.gov has some alerts on synthetic opioid overdose data. It says that in 2018, more than... 31,000 deaths involving synthetic opioids occurred in the United States. 
It has increased by 10% from 2017 to 2018 and accounted for 67% of opioid-involved deaths in 2018. It talks about the fentanyl analogs, which are fentanyl-like molecules that is basically peddled for drug use. So they're similar in chemical structure, but they're not routinely detected because specialized toxicology testing is required. These are the synthetic opioids. Estimates of the potency of fentanyl analogs vary from less potent to fentanyl than to much more potent than fentanyl. There's some uncertainty because potency of illicitly manufactured fentanyl analogs has not been evaluated in humans. An example, carfentanil, was the most potent fentanyl analog detected in the U.S., estimated to be 10,000 more times, 10,000 more times more potent than morphine. Okay, so if you look, if you look at this website, it shows a map of the United States and it shows statistically significant changes in drug overdose death rates involving synthetic opioids by state. And their categories is like a dark brown; it doesn't meet the inclusion criteria. Then a dark burnt orange, which means there's been a decrease. And there's only two states that are that color. And the rest of them are pretty much stable, but not significant. So that's pretty good. And then in the lighter tan colored ones is there's been an increase. That's like California, Washington, Arizona, Missouri, Illinois, Tennessee, and I think that's South Carolina. That's another really great resource if you're looking for data on what the fuck is going on. ABC 17 News does an article called Opioid Crisis Fast Facts. So it talks about that experts say the United States is in the throes of an opioid epidemic, that an estimated 10.1 million Americans aged 12 and older misused opioids in 2019. In 2018, okay, more than 130 people died every day from opioid-related drug overdoses in 2016 and 2017. How many people have they been reviving? Seems to be a real huge issue, right? So usually people don't go straight to fentanyl. They'll get hooked on some other opioid-like substance or opiate, and they'll end up using fentanyl. The drug dealers will use it to cut their product because it's probably cheaper, therefore causing an increase in overdoses. This article goes into certain kind of laws and funding that were passed from 2016, 2017, 2018. In October 24th, 2018, President Donald Trump signed opioid legislation into law. This was the Support for Patients and Communities Act, promoting research to find new drugs for pain management that will not be addictive. This also expands access to treatment for substance abuse disorders for Medicaid patients. And then there's selected litigation on this and if you look if you look into this big pharma has been in bit deep shit for having their doctors push certain pills that are highly addictive so that's it's fucking huge problem the one thing i wanted to really call attention on is not only my community and other communities like mine in the pacific northwest that are having kids get a hold of these drugs they're not well educated they're you know maybe emotionally hurting, they're risking their life by taking things that they don't know what it is. According to the Colorado Sun, 
And this is real recent. This is March 16, 2021, written by Jennifer Brown. It's titled Counterfeit Opioid Pills Made in Mexico Pushed Colorado into a Third Deadly Wave of the Opioid Crisis. Colorado Sun spoke with Deanne Reuter, special agent in charge of the Denver field office of the DEA, where agents are tracing the illicit fentanyl pipeline across the southern border. Evidence of the overdose statistics, which skyrocketed in 2020, no surprise. Overdoses due to fentanyl doubled in Colorado last year, jumping from 452 compared with jumping to 452 compared with the 214 from the year before. These are shipped, okay, so it comes from China, ends up in Mexico, and that's when they're made into counterfeit opioid pills, and then they're smuggled across the border into the United States. So thank you, China. Thank you for poisoning us. I guess the the DEA, along with several law enforcement groups, are working various cases across the state. And looking at northern Colorado and the sale of Zanny bars. This is counterfeit Xanax made to look like legally manufactured white bar-shaped pills to young people in Colorado. They have a strike force group seizing pills with fentanyl in it, methamphetamine, heroin, and they've been arresting people, seizing money. Good on them. That's badass. We have a problem here in Washington because they just made drug possession possession an unarrestable offense. So I don't know what our our law enforcement's going to be able to do here, but it looks like the DEA is kicking ass in Colorado. And it's really great for the community to have an article written in their local newspaper about it. So they they question the DEA DEA agent Reuter, and she explains that they have no standard of how they're making their drug. And that two milligrams is a lethal dose. So a tiny little bit's like enough to kill like 20 people. The majority of the pills that they're finding is an average of 1.8 milligrams. So barely a lethal dose. One of their laboratories tested all of the fentanyl pills that are coming in. And 26 of the pills contained lethal dose. She says you're playing Russian roulette with a four-cylinder gun. One in four contain lethal dose. One in four pill is lethal. They question saying, how has the drug route changed since the Chinese and the U.S. governments worked to block fentanyl from entering via West Coast ports? She says the chemists, from what we have seen, started in China. Once China cracked down on the laws in 2019, the Mexican drug trafficking organizations jumped in. They were doing it before then, but you saw a huge jump once China's laws went into effect. The Mexican drug trafficking organizations brought a lot of those Chinese chemists over to help them in their labs. Now they're doing it on their own. The majority of the illicit fentanyl coming into the United States is coming from Mexico. We'll see it in powder form, and we'll also see it in pressed pills, and the pills are made to look like oxycodone. So it has increased, and this is a a killer article. Great interview. Makes a lot of sense. They ask how the Colorado work to prevent fentanyl. How can Colorado work to prevent fentanyl overdoses? The first thing she says is to educate the public, let the parents know, and that these kids will find these substances on social media. We need to educate these kids that you shouldn't be taking any substance that was not prescribed by a doctor and distributed by a pharmacy. Any pill out there could be a counterfeit pill. How do you know? Shit, man. So it's a serious issue. And I mean, anybody who's listening... Just keep an eye out if you have teenage kids or, I mean, even if you recreationally pop a pill now and then, 
be fucking careful because you don't know what you're taking and you don't know what your dealer's getting. You know what I mean? It's just, it's fucking insane. It makes me, it makes me want to go out into the community. I think inward survival could do a lot of work as far as education goes. We'll see about that. I'll work on that. This week's guest spot goes to somebody who definitely doesn't need the followership, but I just wanted to say that Nicole Arbor is fucking hilarious. A lot of people don't like her. A lot of people think she's a total cunt face, but I do not. I think she's fantastic. I think her videos are hilarious, and I think she is incredibly brilliant. So if you don't follow her already, go over to Nicole Arbor on any platform, and you can pretty much find her. And she's got jokes for days. I will link uh, her website below if I can find it. Okay. To close this week, we're going to talk about interpersonal conflict. So welcome to Inward Survival's School of Magic, one of my favorite segments because we learn a lot. I will be referring to how to handle interpersonal conflict like a pro. This article's badass. It's medically reviewed, written by this really cute chick named Crystal Raypole. So they define interpersonal conflict as any type of conflict involving two or more people. I guess intrapersonal conflict is an inter- internal conflict with yourself, and that's just a whole other issue. But for now, we're going to talk about conflict between one to two, <laughs> two or more people, especially two people. So I don't know about you guys, but being cooped up in the house for a year with your family and people you love induces conflict, as well as having teenage kids. So I know everybody knows what it's like to be so furious that they w- you want to scream at somebody or you just can't take it anymore and you absolutely lose your shit and then you blame others and you guys can't have a a peaceful meeting of the minds. This happens in a lot of romantic relationships and it happens with your young adult children. I guess that didn't make sense. (laughs) Your teenage kids and your young adult children, for sure. I mean, people have different personalities, values, expectations and attitudes towards problem solving and sometimes it's absolutely difficult I mean sometimes it can't you know it's and sometimes it's not serious and sometimes it's more serious it all depends on how people take it so the first thing you're going to do is identify what type of conflict I guess there's several different types of conflict first we have pseudo conflict this is when There's a misunderstanding that leads to a different opinion. People involved in this conflict, they actually believe they have different goals when in reality they have similar goals. And then when one person involved in the conflict mocks or taunts the other, sometimes called badgering. That's the pseudo-conflict. It says that you can resolve pseudo-conflict without too much trouble, and it generally just takes a bit of clarification about what you actually meant and some further exploration of how your goals actually do align. This is where people tease each other, so that's not cool. you you got to talk through that and be nice. Then you have fact conflict. It's basically just a fact, and it says to, to further research it. This kind of conflict involves facts, and you can resolve it pretty easily. Then you have value conflict. This is when different personal values lead to disagreement. 
this type of conflict doesn't always have a clear path to resolution. Obviously, sometimes people just don't need to be around each other if you do not share the same values. But you have to respect each other's right to believe what they want. And then you have policy conflict. I can imagine this is what would happen in, in government and when raising your children. And then we have the famed ego conflict. Now this one's scary because nobody's going to back down and it usually develops alongside other conflict. It can make this, you know, one disagreement much more difficult to manage. This is when conflict starts to get personal. And then another one is pretty complex is meta conflict. This is when you have conflict about your conflicts. For example, you know, like telling them that it's super unfair that that's not what we're arguing about at all or you're too worked up I can't deal with you when you're like this and you start to start an argument within an argument I I raise my hand on this one and it makes things a tangled web that we weave to resolve this you need to communicate clearly made a conflict might bring up issues with communication it often does so in unhelpful ways you're not being productive when you're adding argument upon argument. So let's go over that again. The types are pseudo, fact, value, policy, ego, and meta. I, I suppose that pseudo, ego, and meta are probably the most complex. Then you have resolution strategy. This is what somebody's going to do in order to deal with that conflict. A lot of people withdraw. That's the first one. The next one, it would be accommodation, and then competition, and then compromise and then collaborate. Let's go through these. First one, withdrawal. This is when you're ignoring the other person, refusing to discuss the issue, just totally shutting down. You can't deal with it anymore. You have to withdraw from the conflict. This causes problems when it happens a lot. You cannot avoid the conflict, especially if you are required to be around that person or you really, really love that person. So you should actually try to discuss the issue and try not to be sarcastic or passive aggressive in your remarks. There are times to withdraw is when shit's getting crazy and shit's getting broken and people want to start punching each other. That's when everybody needs to take a quick break and (laughs) recoup. And then it's also acceptable to withdraw during an unimportant conflict like Facebook or, you know, just somebody saying something ridiculous. It's just really not worth it. Or the relationship isn't that important to actually address it. It's totally cool to, to ghost a disagreement like that. Doesn't, you know, doesn't hurt anybody. And then, okay, so let's move on to accommodation. This is when one person is like, all right, you're right. I'm going to, I'm going to try harder. Things are going to get better. This is indicative of a pretty healthy relationship because people should kind of take the higher road. You are being the bigger person if you when you try to accommodate that person. Next is competition. And this is when one person is like, hell no, I'm right. I'm going to win this over a period of time. Even though it could lead to some negatives, there are some positive outcomes as well as if you are competing respectively. So it could be healthy, but it also could be really dangerous. Next, we have compromise. This is when you give a little and the other person does too. So pretty much like they're saying that everybody wins, right? But actually, no, you also lose a little, a little bit of sacrifice. 
and that down the line, when one or both of you remember what you conceded, you might feel frustrated or resentful. That's important. So if you are compromising to to your expense, it's just going to piss you off later. Maybe you aren't willing to do that because holding on to resentments is probably one of the most unhealthy things ever. The next one is collaborate. I like this one. I'm going to use this one. It says successful collaboration generally does mean everyone wins, but it requires effort on everyone's part. So while it might offer more long-term benefits than other conflict resolution strategy, it has less popularity, but the benefits are more long-term. So to collaborate, you have to communicate and you both share your feelings and use active listening to really understand. And you use this knowledge that you learn to work out a solution to help you both get what you want. This is the best strategy for partners or anybody that you want to maintain a strong relationship with. Flexibility is important. That's not in there, but I think it's like a subcategory of collaboration. So there's pitfalls that you, you got to really avoid. One of them is mutual hostility. We just talked about resentment. Being full of contempt, criticizing people, attacking people's character, being super defensive rather to openness, stonewalling. The next one uh, that's a pitfall is demand withdrawal. This is where one person expresses their needs or tries to address conflict, but the other person responds by withdrawing or avoiding the issue. That's not good. Other person needs to participate. The next pitfall is counter blaming. This is when one person redirects conflict by blaming the other person for the issue. This conflict can get quickly out of hand and accusations lead to frustration and stress. And then you have meta conflict within the original conflict. And that sucks. Cross complaining is another pitfall. This is when a partner raises an issue you might feel tempted to raise a completely unrelated issue that's been bothering you. So that's like calling them out on something that pissed you off two weeks ago in the middle of this current argument. Next pitfall is serial arguments. This is when you fight about the same shit every time. They're going to come up again, again, and again, and again, and again. And unless you address it, you're going to be stuck in the serial argument insanity pitfall. Basically, we all need to be mindful of approaching conflict with flexibility, respect, and the willingness to listen. Try to successfully collaborate to find the best solution for everybody. Our stoic thoughts for this week are quotes that are primarily based on positive thinking because I need it right now. I don't know about you guys, but I sure as hell need some positive thinking right now. First, we have Mahatma Gandhi. He said, keep my word positive. Words become my behaviors. Keep my behaviors positive. Behaviors become my habits. Keep my habits positive. Habits become my values. Keep my values positive. Values become my destiny. The Dalai Lama said, in order to carry a positive action, we must develop here a positive vision. Last but certainly not least, Marcus Aurelius, the happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts. Therefore, guard accordingly and take care that you entertain no notions unsuitable to virtue and reasonable nature. End quote. Have a great week, everybody.